0: Welcome to episode 30 of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the muck podcast, where we talk to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Hadamio, And I'm Hillary Dougherty. Today, we are interviewing Pennsylvania State House Rep for District 181, Malcolm Kenyatta. Hillary, tell us about today's guest.
1: So today we are talking to Representative Malcolm Kenyatta, who currently serves as Vice Chair of the Philadelphia Delegation as a member of the Governor's Task Force on Suicide Prevention and a host of committee leadership positions. He received a BA from Temple University, an MS from Drexel University, and completed the Harvard Kennedy School's Executives in State and Local Government program. As the first openly LGBTQ person of color and one of the youngest members elected to the Pennsylvania General Assembly, he is deeply committed to creating an equitable and inclusive society. As a legislator, he has championed proposals to address generational poverty, raise the minimum wage, protect workers' rights, increase access to mental health, common sense measures to address gun violence, and protect our digital infrastructure. He is currently running for the U.S. Senate. Welcome, Representative Kenyatta.
2: Thank you so much. Happy to be with you.
0: All right. So, you come from a long line of activists. can you tell us about how that has influenced your current path?
2: Yeah so my grandfather was a was a civil rights activist um, involved in a variety of different things and you know and my parents you know they weren't I guess activists in the traditional sense of the word but what they instilled in us was a you know, my mom would always say, everybody can do something,
3: mm-hmm. right?
2: You know, we grew up incredibly working poor, but that didn't stop us from having to go to food banks, even though we might be at a food bank later ourselves, later in the mm-hmm. week. Uh, that didn't mean that we didn't have to go volunteer. That didn't mean that we didn't have to, you know, do things in our in our faith community and and our community more broadly um, to, to get involved and, and, and get engaged. And for me... You know, I always say you can draw a direct line between, you know, sort of this experience and now me running for the U.S. Senate. I was 11 years old and was living on this little block in, uh, in called Woodstock Street in my now district. Mm. And I came home and I'm just, you know, complaining to my mom, you know, about all the different stuff on the block that I was upset about, the trash and whatever else. And my mom, you know, just you know, looked at me and without skipping a beat. She said, you know what, boy, if you care so much, why don't you go do something about it? And and I was Mm -hmm. like, okay. Uh, I thought she was just going to give me a hug, but instead she gave me some love. Um, Uh And, and, you know, I ran for junior black captain. And that was the first thing I ever did in terms of getting civically engaged. And it gave me this sense really on of two things that I think are so critical. A, nobody's coming to save us. And B, and this is good news, we don't need anybody to come save us because Mm -hmm. when we build big coalitions, um, we can deal with the challenges that exist on our own.
1: Wow! That's, I love that yeah. so much. So you're a your little <laughs> activist at 11. That's incredible.
0: It's amazing. <laughs> so,
1: um, so you're the first openly LGBTQ person of color to be elected to any either side of uh, the House or the Senate in Pennsylvania. We've had right. um, Michelle Rayner, who's the first openly LGBTQ Black person, woman of color and also Chevron Jones here yes. in Florida. So the, we we're in Florida. Oh yeah.
3: my good friend. Chef. Oh,
1: <gasps> we love Chev. He's our good friend. See, look, we're already a mutual <laughs> friends. We're all hanging out. We don't even know oh, it. Oh
2: my gosh, I love him. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, he's so great. So, yeah. um yeah, well, I've seen I've watched plenty of your um your speeches on the floor and it reminds me a lot of Michelle Rayner and Chevron Jones and yeah. the passion and, and fire that you all have is so incredible and so needed. Yes. Um, so tell us, do you, have you done advocacy work for the LGBTQ community and what, what kind of work that is?
2: Yeah. So, you know, as, as, as I said, right, I got involved at 11 and really never, never stopped prior to running for office. I was one of the first men, I'm um, second, the, the only person who beat me, he beat me because I had a cold when they did the swearing in. Okay, so we let <laughs> him first. But, but really, it was a tie. Um, elected to the board of the National Organization for Women, the Philadelphia wow. uh, chapter. Um, and so I served on that board. I was also a longtime member and then a uh, chair of Liberty City, which is uh, Philadelphia's LGBTQ um, political action committee and the largest LGBTQ um, political advocacy group in the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. And, you know, I did that for for many years. Then I worked at the Greater Philadelphia Chamber of Commerce, not connected at all to the National Chamber of Commerce, I was at to tell my um, (laughs) friends, where I led all the diversity and inclusion initiatives. And a big part of You know, I think my legacy there was including, in our definition of diversity and inclusion and equity, um, was including LGBTQ business owners, which certainly do face, you know, um, additional barriers Mm -hmm. to getting that big contract. And so whether it is basic protections, whether it was, you know, marriage uh, years ago, um, whether it's dealing with Housing and the fact that LGBTQ youth represent a disproportionate share of um, young people who are unhoused, um, or whether we're talking about putting folks in a position to have the sort of um, economic, uh, economic sort of flexibility um, to start a business if they want to, but maybe just have a good job if they want to, or you know whatever the case may be, that those are things that for many queer folks, particularly for trans women of color, Mm -hmm. um, that has not existed and that I've been consistent Mm -hmm. fighter for on those issues.
0: Uh, Hillary mentioned, uh, that you give these incredibly impassioned speeches on the floor. And last year you gave one about low wages. Can you talk to us about what prompted your response that day?
2: You know, literally, and you know, a lot of times people say this. Like, I wasn't going to say anything. Like, I literally wasn't going to say anything. <laughs> um, I actually was going to the. I was actually like going to the bathroom. I'm like, oh, I was like, this debate is so ridiculous. Um, you know, let me go out. And then I heard somebody, you know, talk about, um, you know, how the the governor was shutting everything down as opposed to COVID a deadly virus which has killed over 600,000 Americans. That is what was shutting things down. (laughs) Not, Not the governor just waving a wand to shut things down for no reason and hearing them talk about the the need to open back up the restaurants and open back up all these service-based shops. And, you know, I got my first job at the age of 12 washing dishes at a little vegan soul food restaurant. Hmm. And it was... I always say restaurants helped save my life because that job helped me, um, you know, give money to my mom to pay our utility bills. Mm-hmm. Um, I moved five different times as a kid growing up because we couldn't afford where we were. Mm-hmm. And so that th- that engendered in me, and I ended up becoming a restaurant manager for, for a number of years um, out of college and worked in a restaurant for many years throughout college. And so the service industry you know, and what folks who, what folks have to do, what I had to do as mm-hmm. a, as a server and the lack of respect that you see so often dished out, particularly from, um, you know, elected officials who continue to, um, demonize, belittle and disrespect, mm. um, service workers. And, you know, you just think about the fact that if folks who worked at the grocery store, The men and women who picked up our trash, our letter carriers, so many others, they never skipped a beat throughout the entire pandemic. There was a deadly virus killing people Mm. that nobody at the very beginning understood even truly how it was contracted. And yet they were showing up to make sure our lives could continue even in this incredibly tough circumstance. And I am so sick of all the folks who wanted to hang up a damn banner saying, oh, we love service workers. Oh, that's <laughs> great. I'm like, save money on the banner and put that toward paying them. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> yes. My God. <laughs>
2: it's ridiculous.
1: Oh, my God. Um, so let's talk about voting rights because um, I shared your, on my Twitter, I shared your speech that you just did not too long ago on the floor about voting rights. And I said that state legislators across the country are now having to, uh, Democrats, are now having to fight for things. Um, Our governor here, Governor DeSantis, after the November 2020 election, said it was the greatest, safest election we've ever had. And then within four months you know, Oh, whoops. Uh, we, well, it was terrible. We need to, we need to make sure that the the criminals are not voting. It was just so horrible. So
0: ridiculous. And they
1: passed a terrible voting bill here, um, which is going to, you know, not just hurt Democrats, but hurt Republicans. It's making the job of supervisor of elections across this, this state, making their jobs more difficult. Um, and so you also are facing that kind of fight in Pennsylvania. And you said something that I I loved, and you said that the bill was um, in drag, which was fantastic. And then, um, so tell us about the voter suppression and, and how also in, in Pennsylvania, and then also how we can ensure we can get more voters to come out, because this isn't helping, you know?
2: So, absolutely. And I'm not sure there's any other issue. Right. Any other issue mm-hmm. that is more important than this one, because if you want to talk about any other policy area, that policy can't be implemented. Um, we can't have leaders who are going to work toward those things um, if we don't have a functioning democracy.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And again, I, I do not say this to be hyperbolic because sometimes I do think, you know, uh, you know, there's been a history of trying to just scare folks into voting. Mm-hmm. But I also don't think that you can um, under undercut the seriousness of this moment. And I remind folks, there is nothing on a tablet that was delivered from on high somewhere that says America is going to be successful. Right. Nothing. I mean, absolutely nothing. And if you are a student of history and you look at um, world powers that have, you know, dotted our global landscape throughout the course of history, America is very young. In terms of, um, our experiment in democracy. I mean, we are a blink of an eye if you hold us up to um, just our friends across the pond in England mm-hmm. in terms of the length and of, of their government. I mean, we are very young. And so I just remind folks that we have to take this deadly seriously, deadly seriously. And you are seeing constant broadsides and attack. Against the right to vote. And it is so frustrating to me that this has become like a democratic thing. I'm not trying to protect folks' right to vote because all of them are going to vote for me. A lot of the folks who I'm going to protect are going to vote against me. Okay. But we have to have a system by which every single eligible American can be a part of the process. And the reason you're seeing these folks use all these different tools to try to gum up the works, make it more difficult mm-hmm. for people to vote is because they have crap ideas. Mm-hmm. That's why mm-hmm. they have crap ideas. If they had good ideas that they thought were popular with the broad swath of the American electorate, then they wouldn't They would want everybody to vote. Right,
3: right? yeah, they're they afraid. They people
2: do not vote because they have horrible ideas. And the only thing they care about, the only thing these folks care about Is how to get an invitation to (laughs) Mar-a-Lago to sit underneath this guy Mm -hmm. um, and tell him how great he is.
3: Mm.
2: I mean, it really is sick.
1: It's sick. It is. is, mm
2: -hmm.
1: Go ahead, please. Go ahead.
2: No, no, no. And the reason I called the um, I'll just end with this quickly. The reason I called the House bill, you know, voter suppression and bad drag, is because you know they call it voter protection bill when the entire bill, if you read it. 147 pages. They gave it to us in the dead of night and said, we're voting on this tomorrow. Wow. But I did stay up and read it. Um, <laughs> well, the day before, maybe not the dead of night, but they gave us the day before and said, I oh, we vote on this tomorrow. Um, but I stayed up and I read it. And over and over again, what you saw is them doing the same restrictive things around voter ID, around limiting drop boxes, about pushing back the deadlines that people can apply. But then hmm. they say, hey, yeah, 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 we will let you cure your ballot. Right, and that sounds good. Oh, we can cure your ballot if there's a signature issue, but wow. then they but then they lay out an obstacle course that you have to go through to actually cure the ballot. You have basically 13 days to then go to a doctor, get an appointment, and then get a medical note and a diagnosis for why your signature has changed. Oh we, we understand okay. that people what? don't need a medical condition for their signature to change over time. You know, I have a bunch of different signatures. Right. right different wow. Different I mean, what, I, my... what, I'm, what I'm signing.
1: That's incredible. Yeah,
0: I mean, my signature when I first, you know, that that teenage high yeah. school signature because right. I registered to vote in high school is very different. With
1: a little heart over the eyes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's,
0: it's very different ah. than what it is now.
1: <laughs> wow, I don't think I've ever heard that one before. That is that is wild.
2: And so what they've tried to do is pretend that oh, their bill is not as radical as all the mm. the other bills, and they say, oh yeah, 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 you can definitely have drop boxes, but instead of eleven, you can only have one. oh yeah oh my god we're totally going to do early voting but we'll do early voting starting in 2026
1: oh Oh, god goodness
2: And, and so you have this really absurd uh legislation which is right out of the playbook of all the other bills that we've seen you know put forward and and again i pine for a time seriously where we can be debating whether, you know, the corporate tax rate should be 25% or 27%, mm-hmm. right? Like whether, yes. you know, whether, you know, whether we should invest this much or, or, or that much in, in critical needs that the American people have. But instead, we have a political party, and we have to just call it this. We have a political party that is operating in a batshit crazy way. Where there are no facts, up is not up, down is not down, water is not wet, left is not left, right is not right. And that is deeply corrosive to our democracy because I promise folks, if we share facts, if we tell the truth, there are still things that people who share facts can disagree on. But right now, we don't even share facts, and these folks are operating in a fact-free zone, (sighs) and I am not a safe harbor for nonsense. So I call it out
3: every
1: day. yes. <laughs> well, two things. Wow. So one thing is that we had um, our minority leader here in the House, uh, Representative Bobby Debose, on on our last little muck, and he was talking about how. Um, if you look at the legislation they're trying to pass is they're just trying to hold on to a time. Yeah. And it's like a signal to all these other people in their party of like just trying to hang on because everything they're passing is nothing that's actually progressing, like, or helping the future. It's like hanging on to this idea because they know they're losing. Yeah. And so they're just trying to like hang on to this idea of like what they think, uh, the country should look like or the state should look like. Um, and another thing that I was going, "Oh, shoot, I forgot my other point <laughs> um, I'll forget it. I'll think about it later. I forgot what I was gonna, I was gonna say. Oh my God. Uh,
0: well, you you talked a lot about this horrible legislation. Mm-hmm. Do you have any dream legislation that you would hope to pass in your role as either your current role or um, when you are elected to the Senate?
2: Yeah, you know, there, are, you know, we can think about all of the usual. Um, you know suspects and these are important issues know sort of climate change and raising wages for folks dealing with debt um, but from for me you know all, all my siblings uh, um, are, are adopted my mm. um, wonderful siblings and um, my dad was a social worker my mom was trained as a home health aide and she worked in a you know group home setting with um, you know folks who have really severe physical and mental disabilities
3: mm. and
2: so You know, for my entire life, thinking about, you know, mental health, you know, health care and how sort of, you know, mental health services aren't often included in people's policies and on and on and on. Um, And how we often treat mental health, right? And it's like everybody has mental health, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
3: Yeah. Um,
2: But but we only, you know, often think about it in in these sort of traumatic moments. And I've certainly, um, you know, been a part of my fair share of folks who I know and love who've dealt with suicidal ideation and folks who I've known and loved who've died by suicide. Um, And for me, it really um, hit home, this issue of suicide uh, prevention, when my good friend, his name was Roswell, friend actually, in college. Who, you know, was so popular, so wonderful, track Mm -hmm. star, everybody loved him. Um, And when he died by suicide, it absolutely crushed me. Mm
3: -hmm. And
2: I um, started this thing at my campus called Step Students Together Ending Pain and Suicide, now serve on the governor's suicide prevention um, task force. And I will tell you, I've had a lot of tough days as a legislator, but still the worst remains getting a call from a woman in my district miss um, linda who just recently passed saw of the earth woman and she called me and let me know that her 11 year old grandson little phil had died by suicide oh gosh and um you know i had some great donors who were able to put the family up in a hotel for a couple of days and pay for the funeral and all those different things um, so i gotten to know the family very well um, but as we were sitting there and talking about all the things that went in to it, what stuck out to me was the fact that there was a mental health professional at the school, Mm. but there was only one. (sighs) And she had, you know, 400 or so kids. Right. And she was dealing with another crisis. I remember my Mm. dad as a social worker who had 60, 70 cases. Mm. I mean, come on with the complexity of these cases, with the challenges that people have, there's no way he's going to call 60 or 70 people in a day. Right. And who ends up falling through the cracks. And so we, I said to them, Um, we were never going to let little Phil's memory um, go away. And I worked with Republicans to introduce a bill called Phillips law, um, which is still unfortunately sitting in committee, even though it was one of the most co-sponsored bills. Um, Last session, we had 90 something Mm co-sponsors need 103 votes in Pennsylvania to pass the bill to get 90 something co-sponsors on anything. is really hard. (laughs) I will tell you. Um, And so, you know, we worked incredibly hard, and this this would do a couple of different things. Um, the first is it would give us a baseline of how many mental health professionals we even have in our schools that we mm-hmm. do not track it at all. We don't know. And when you use the term counselor, a counselor could be somebody helping a kid fill out a high school or college application, right. which is important. But that person's not necessarily a mental health professional. You may have a nurse who people don't necessarily think of as a mental health professional, who may very well be trained um, in that. So that's the first thing we need to do is get a real sense.
3: Mm-hmm. Um, and then
2: second, using best practices to say this is the ratio, the mandated ratio of how many you have to have right. per student to make sure um, that the, the load that they have to deal with and that the accessibility, that that's increased for our young people. And then ultimately we have to find out a way to, to, to fund it. I talked to then-Vice President Biden about this in New Hampshire. And he ended up adding this as a part of his platform. Wow. Um, He said, you know, wow, this is something we need to do at the federal level. And so, you know, a lot of things I want to accomplish, but the most important day for me will be when I can bring little Phil's family to a bill signing to stand behind the president as we sign a bill that reimagines the way we provide mental health care for all of our kids.
1: Oh, my gosh. That's incredible, especially because – Right now, I mean, I've seen it in my own children, but during the pandemic, I feel like mental health for kids yes. is so important, and I think it's really come out, like, you can see the isolation and what it's done to kids, not having that social aspect of being in school, and it's really, really important. Right. That's an amazing and, piece and of even, legislation.
0: Yeah, and even the worry of, you know, parents who have lost jobs or parents no, who have... No, it's all lost, stressful, you know, yeah. Yeah, oh my S- gosh. such... Uh, I'm, I can't yeah, wait to see have, this you know, happen.
2: with record gun violence as well, mm-hmm. and I think about all the time. Um, you know how I mean. I'll never forget. It.
3: Uh,
2: I was a kid sitting on a you know step growing up, and somebody got like shot in the face, like <gasps> half a block from my house. Right? Like I didn't know the person, um, but still, like that's a traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. Like for me, for certainly for that family, for for everybody else. But you know, my mom was like, the next day, you know, you know, you're going to school, right? And that's true for so many kids. Like, all right, next day, go to school, and you know, algebra is hard any day of the week, <laughs> um, and like. For all the math people, you are wrong. Algebra is hard. I yes. like, it's agree. It is hard. You're wrong. And I'll never forget like, when we were learning algebra. I was like, do you recognize that like, you're putting letters up there with the numbers? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> this doesn't, it doesn't go together. These two things don't go but together. You should stop yeah. doing them. Like I just left English. But, but anyway, you know, but that's even harder to do yeah. when you've just witnessed a murder. Mm. And we're seeing so many, um, you know, record numbers of violence and crime. And as you all know, certainly in in, in Florida and Mm -hmm. certainly here in Pennsylvania, that you have folks, and let's be very clear, the NRA, Gun Owners of America, all these different people, they don't speak for law-abiding gun owners. They don't. They speak for Mm. the gun manufacturers. Whose only goal is to sell as many weapons as possible. But all the things that we could do to make folks safer and lessen that, 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 that those traumatic experiences, um, that has support with broad majority of the American people and with, um, you know, gun owners. Gosh, that's a... a bit of a segue, but important. No,
1: so, so good, important. so good. So let's talk about your, now you're in a race for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania. Represent I've heard
3: Pennsylvania? That. Yes, <laughs> I mean,
1: it's no big deal, no big deal. Um, tell us about what um, made you, helped you, like, make this decision, come to this decision, and also what you want to accomplish as a U.S. Senator.
2: Yeah, you know what, for me, it was, I was so sick of. Over and over and over again, hearing people every election cycle talk about how much they care about working people. Mm. You know, they do the obligatory Black Lives Matter. Mm. Great. They talk about how much they love marginalized people. Right now, it's Pride, and so a bunch of people mm. walk around like, wrapping themselves in Pride flags. Companies right. wrapping their products
3: mm-hmm. in Pride
2: stuff, and you know, it's wonderful. But yet, when folks from those very communities want to speak for ourselves. You get the whole song and the dance about why it's not your time, why you're not the right person, why why it shouldn't be you, why it should be somebody else, why you should hire a spokesperson as opposed to somebody who can actually speak to the nuance of what it really means for people who are struggling, people whose feet, like mine, are bloody from walking over the glass of government inaction on critical issues. I've had enough with watching folks you know they take these pictures and they cut these 30 60 second ads and you know they oh, they really look like they care sometimes they dress like they really think like they're really going to care about you and do all this stuff and we've all seen the commercial where they have somebody who's fumbling through the bills at the kitchen table mm-hmm. and then this millionaire walks in front of the screen and tells you how much they care and how they are the one that we've been waiting for that God. working people we've been waiting for a millionaire this whole time (laughs) to come to come save us i fundamentally believe that working people can speak for ourselves and for me there are only two issues in this election it is who is our democracy are we going to have a democracy first and then who is our democracy going to work for and the reality is that democracy has not worked for working families um like mine it absolutely um has not and so yes you know, every Democrat, no Democrat is going to say I'm for less housing, for less affordable housing. All Democrats, are affordable housing. but the reality is, not every Democrat knows what it means, like I do, to have to move multiple times to come home from school and have your mom tell you, "Hey, put everything you own in a couple plastic bags, trash bags, because we have to go to the next place. We can't stay this, stay mm-hmm. here anymore." Mm-hmm. You know, all Democrats are going to say more people should have health care, not less but not everybody understands what it means when people don't have healthcare. I buried both of my parents before I turned 27 mm-hmm. because they couldn't afford basic freaking prescriptions.
3: Mm-mm. You know, I
2: watched my mom who as I said was a home health care aide, spend all day helping other people and then had to come home and ration her insulin. <sighs> my dad, the same thing with his epilepsy, you know, medicine had a, you know, decided to stop taking it because he had lost his gig at the height of the great recession. Like so many, other people um and of course we cut social services first as you well know
3: yeah.
2: um and he said oh my gosh you know i haven't had a seizure in forever this is so expensive i won't take it ended up having a used uh, epileptic and ended up having a mass, massive seizure got oh. uh, from brain aneurysm Jeez. um you know everybody's going to talk about we need to more adequately fund Our our schools fully fund our schools. We just talked about the need for mental health and our schools. You know, all Democrats are going to say that. But not everybody has gone to a school that was underfunded, a school that was failing because our government failed to meet the moment in terms of making sure we have well-compensated teachers that are armed with all the tools they need to prepare our kids to go and follow their dreams. Um, yeah, you have folks who are going to say climate change um, is, is important and we have to do something about it. But I live in a frontline community where you know we have young people who prior to the school buildings being closed down because of COVID, we were seeing record numbers of kids being hospitalized with asthma attacks because air mm. quality is so poor in their communities. Mm. And so you can go on and on and on. I think that at this moment, we need authentic leadership of people who are grounded in the concerns that people have and who are laying out a bold agenda to move us forward, period.
0: Wow. Good, great. I, I mean, incredible. I Amazing. love this idea of working people in office. That's what we need.
2: Uh, yes. That's what we need. Ab- ab- absolutely absolutely and when you you know in the story i just told you know you can't you can walk down the street and bump in the you know five people before you get to the end of the block who have a story just like that mm-hmm. or worse yeah but if you walk in the senate you're not bumping into anybody
3: yeah, that's they don't true. know
2: many of them a damn thing about that and i'm so sick of people speaking for working people in the abstract
3: mm-hmm. you know
2: cosplaying working people when an election is close but never never actually saying, hey, you know what? I'm such an ally to working people that I'm actually just gonna support a working candidate. I don't need to be the person. Right? You hey. know, you know, you support black folks, you support queer folks, you support all this stuff. Then you know what allyship really looks like? Allyship really looks like, hey, you know what? My perspective is already represented in the Senate. Let's get this person whose perspective and and the whole all the all the people who look and see themselves in that person. Let's have that perspective. Represented. I mean, when are we, when are folks going to do that? Well, that's, when are it, folks going to do right. that? They that, need to step know, aside. They need to step right. aside. Yeah, that is it's, correct because it's, sometimes there's not another chair you could bring mm. up to the table. Sometimes the table has a certain amount of
1: chairs. Well, yeah. <laughs> <But laughs> so I mean, you must listen to our podcast as we scream about this all the time. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, it, there's a local party here where it's a, it's a there's a white gentleman who's held onto power for a really long time. And he talks about, he voted against something. I don't want to get into the deal, but he voted against something because he's, he's like, well, it's going to take away power from people of color. And I was like, well, you could step down. Yeah. and like maybe allow someone else to have power right like you could actually make space for what you s- you're saying you care about right and i don't i mean I it's such yeah. a crazy thing to me is this well it's also you know it's white supremacy at its worst but it's like yeah. you know like maybe you could actually look around and trust the voices of pe- the people who are saying I represent this and I can do it. And actually, you know, you can still be in by actually supporting, helping and advocating yes. and so su- yeah, doing all the things that you use, can do. And
0: using your power to help
1: someone else. Yeah. Oh gosh, what a nightmare. Uh.
2: <laughs> <laughs> ab- wow. ab- absolutely. Absolutely. That's 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 exactly right. And for so long, you know, working people have not been represented. Um, in the in, in the Senate. And I think that ultimately mm-hmm. we, 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 we need that. You know, I understand that, you know, my race is historic in a bunch of different ways. You know, I'm the first openly LGBTQ person of color to run for Senate and American history. If mm-hmm. elected, I'll be the first openly gay man to ever serve in the body. Only the 12th African-American. And all those different things are, are mm-hmm. exciting and great. But the reality is we have had so few people who understand in their bones what's broken because they've lived through it not just Mm -hmm. telling somebody else's story but telling their story and the reason that matters is that our personal experiences impact everything about how we see the world and about how we look at policy and some of this stuff you can't just get a briefing on do you know what i mean some of the stuff you can't just do a walking tour in a community and learn all that is necessary to, to, to understand about some of these issues. You know, I just say some of the stuff, you had to be there, yeah. you had to be there. And we deserve to have some people in the Senate who, you know, have the types of experiences that I've, that I've had. Um, you know, we don't need everybody to have had my ex- experience, but we do need a government. If we are going to address the fullness of the concerns That the American people have, then we have to have a government that reflects the fullness of those American experiences. Mm I mean, it's kind of basic.
3: I mean, yeah, it makes
1: incredible. Well, I'm very excited for this campaign and for you running. I'm I'm really glad that you're doing it and you're putting yourself out there to run. It it means a lot. And um, thank you so much. Of course, and I want to thank you for being on the podcast today and taking your your time on your Sunday. I know Sundays are time. I'd rather be. Floating in the pool right now, but I really appreciate you being here listen, with us.
2: No, 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 no rest for the weary. I'm on no. my way to, to another to another uh, prize that we're having in, the, in in Upper Upper Derby.
3: Oh, um, and
2: so you know, listen. Every every day we're out doing something, talking to somebody about about what's at stake. um You know, and again, not for not just for me in this in this campaign. I say it all the time. We've gotten so caught up in a cult of personality around candidates, and I tell people, listen, i not need anybody in my, in my cult. Um, but I am asking you to be a part of this coalition. Um, and I say coalition and not campaign because campaigns have an expiration date. The work that we have to do doesn't have an expiration date. And I see what we're doing as a vehicle to provide that broad based, um, brought a solutions to the systematic issues that we've ignored for far too long. And I want to thank both of you for using your platform in the way that you consistently have to have conversations that aren't always being had. So I appreciate you. Of course. Aww. And where
1: can we find, where can, if someone wants to find your coalition and your campaign, like where could they find you online?
2: So it's at Malcolm Kenyatta on everything. And Kenyatta is K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A. I'm at Malcolm Kenyatta on Twitter and Instagram and all those different things. Um, but also my website is malcolmkenyatta.com. And so people can go there. And I've been so moved. You know, we take zero dollars, zero goose eggs from corporations, from the fossil fuel industry. We are building this campaign, you know, you know, one. One sort of dollar at at a time, our average contribution is like 20 20 something bucks, Mm -hmm. which is so, you know, so exciting for us because we understand that like what I'm doing, there's not a well-worn path for Mm -hmm. black folks, black queer folks, Mm -hmm. black folks more broadly who want to run for Senate. right? There are very few, um, frankly, who've ever done it. Um, So we understand there's not a well-worn path. And a big part of the reason you don't see a lot of working people run is because it's so ridiculously expensive. And, you know, folks decide, hey, I need to take these big corporate checks You know, from folks to do it. So we're not doing that because I want people to always know. And this is not something I did for the Senate campaign. I've always just sort of believed this: that people should know who 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 I'm employed with. Because Pat Toomey has worked for the Club for Growth and all of his big donors the entire time. You know, I joke that when he finishes his last day at the Senate, he won't clock out with the Senate Clerk. He'll go over to the Club for Growth to clock out with them because that's that's who he's worked for this entire time. Um, And so we have an opportunity to change that and every time somebody trips in whatever they can, um, they help make what we're doing a reality. So thank you again for your time and again for using your platform the way that you do.
0: Thank you so much. We really appreciate you coming on the show today.
2: Happy to do it. Take care.
0: All right, All right. bye-bye. Bye. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The
1: Muck Podcast. To support the Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level muckraker, policy wonk, or bleeding heart. We can't do it without you. Music for the Muck Podcast written and performed by Sean Docherty.